We the ladies, in order to form a more perfect union, basically want to figure out what the FDR is going on. Presenting Let's Get Civical, hosted by me, Lizzie Stewart, and me, Arden Walentowski, a podcast where we break down politics and government structure, but in a super fun way. Every week, we will unpack how our country works or doesn't work, looking at things like the First Amendment. What does that actually mean? Or the history of political parties. How in Lincoln's name did we get here? Or impeachment. How hasn't it happened yet? With incredible guests and lots of surprises. It's like being in your American government class with your best friends. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher at Let's Get Civical. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram for all of our exciting updates. And let's get civical. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Pop Tarts. Beep, 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 beep. I'm Emily Rems, and I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture, and today we're talking about folklore. You already know. (laughs) Folklore, from Cinderella to the Little Mermaid, these stories are the basis of much of the pop culture that we consume today. But are the outdated attitudes about women at the core of these stories doing more harm than good? Or would ditching these morality lessons be throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Helping us sort all of this out are the hosts of the amazing feminist folklore podcast, Rachel Marr. And Carly Hall Jensen. Hello. Carly has a master's degree from Indiana University in folklore. And Rachel loves old stories, especially scary ones. Me too. (laughs) Well, me too on the stories, not the master's. (laughs) That's the wise choice. (laughs) Welcome, Rachel and Carly. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. Let me tell you, it fucking sucks. Don't worry, I won't tell you about the box. I just want to be ugly. It's fine. Like, it's okay. You didn't invite us to the baby shower? We fucking with your baby. First off, give us the quick and dirty account about how you two met and what made you decide to devote an entire podcast to your feminist take on folklore. So we used to work together. Um, Rachel was actually my graduate assistant, which we are the same age, pretty much. So like, it was a <laughs> she weird was such dynamic. A mean boss, it was very hard. I was really hard on her. <laughs> um, and then shortly, like right around the time you were graduating, she just kind of kept coming up and being like, "Let's do a podcast. Let's do this thing. You have a background in folklore. Like, let's talk about it." And so we sort of like my feeling is we kind of invented a podcast to uh, continue our friendship and yeah. like have a reason to keep talking Aww. to each other. Yeah. And then people started listening and were like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. This is weird. Yeah, But I think it's something yeah. we both care about and um, we're interested in how stories shape how we think about the world. So that's mm-hmm. something that we're both like excited about talking about all the time. Yeah. You know, listening to your podcast, the takeaway for me is that as far as women are concerned, most folktales and fairy tales are trash. Um, what is your argument for keeping these stories alive, both in retelling and in pop culture? Well, 
Uh, well, there isn't really a, a pro here, but I'm going to try. I disagree. I disagree <laughs> he, about this. He disagrees with me. I mean, I think there's something to be said about like the cultural cultural currency that they have that I think is actually quite lovely. So we can really get a snapshot of time and sort of figure out what what morality meant in a specific time period. But um, yeah, mostly it's hot garbage. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Okay, I really don't agree with you about this oh, though, because okay. like, well. yeah. Yes, I think almost every episode we're like, oh, this is depressing. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. But I think there is like a lot of really exciting stuff that happens. Women in fairy tales and folktales are really bold and independent. And they exist in this kind of like patriarchal constraint. But they're still really fabulous female characters. And I think if you look at like the history of traditional literature, there are not that many independent female characters in like published writing. But then you look, you know, from, let's say the medieval era, there certainly are, but they're thin on the ground. And comparatively, you get to see oral literature where there is this rich variety of different experiences. And I think they do tell us a lot about, you know, they are a good snapshot of of a culture uh, and our values. But I think they're also just like, Fucking fun. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Well, you mentioned published writing, and a lot of these stories are have, if that if not originated in published writing, like there's the Brothers Grimm and there's Hans Christian Andersen. Mm -hmm. The most famous tellings of some of these stories tend to be go back to men. Mm -hmm. Um, Were any of the big stories that we all know written by women? I know Anonymous was a woman, but are any that you know were written by women or you suspect may have been written by women yeah, yeah. so there i mean we we talk about a bunch of stories uh, madame Alnoy might be one of the best known uh like literary fairy tale writers um she was oh god i'm not gonna get the timeline right but she's french um sort of i want to say early 1800s i'm gonna get that wrong um but so she was definitely doing kind of what the like what hans christian anderson was doing um in that she was writing literary stories that were informed by fairy tales. But even if you look at the Grimm's, a lot of their informants were women. Mm-hmm. And so they were going out and like interviewing, and some of them were like people they knew, so it wasn't really like they were going out in the field exactly, but they were going and interviewing women, often peasant women, um, and recording their stories and then writing them down in print. And so like they are published by men, but they're told and circulated by women. And I think there's some women, too, that we don't think about, like Zora Neale Hurston is mm-hmm. a big one. She's a, a big folklorist. Um, and Angela Carter, of course. So yeah. those two women are powerhouses as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I love Zora Neale Hurston yeah, so much. Best. Yeah. So I know it's so hard to choose because there's so many that you talk about. But if you were going to really sell someone on folklore, like mm. what would be your favorite stories and why? And don't shy away from giving, like, a brief synopsis. Hmm. I'll let you go first. Oh, good. Thank hard. you. That's great. Um, <laughs> I feel like one that we talk about a lot um, is Beauty and the Beast. And I think it's one that like people think that they know. But when you look at other variations of it um, or you really start to dig into like the, um, I won't say original, but the sort of most famous texts, um, they're a lot weirder than you would think. Um, and I think if like if I think about a story that gives me a really quintessential understanding of like what a European fairy tale is, I think that might be one um, that I would pick. And I just love Bluebeard. I love Bluebeard. We were talking about this earlier that yeah. like it's just one of the like most upsetting, weird stories. And it's basically this woman marries a man who has a weird big weird big 
beard that is blue um and he seems to be great on paper and then as soon as he like leaves her alone in the house he's like don't unlock that door and she finds all of his dead wives inside <gasps> yeah <laughs> and it feels very real like it, it feels very contemporary and very real um yeah I can totally start. but why is his beard blue <laughs> that's a great question no context at all maybe they never like, like they just like, mention it maybe it's like a silvery gray yeah but why? Like the name of the story is Bluebeard. There could has be like to a be a wizardy gray. I think he's supposed to be kind of like monstrous in some way, and like it's a pretty like low key way to be scary. But I think he's supposed to be kind of like he's got he's rich and he's really is appealing. It just to tell that there's something wrong. Maybe yeah. It, I mean, it seems sort Sounds of very Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's it. He's just been to too many Burning Man. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's old now. Yeah. <laughs> I always got the vibe from that story, too, that, like, don't tell a woman not to do something because she's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As if, like, if you did the same thing to a man, that they wouldn't do the same thing. Yeah, it's definitely, like, there's a lot of, there's like, something so gendered look. about, like, the woman is always going to look. Yeah. yeah, and there are like the so I'm gonna get a little too in depth, and then I want to hear Rachel's answer <laughs> to this. But um, there's something about uh, like in conventional fairy tales, there's this idea that there's an interdiction, and it's like don't go into that room or don't do, you know don't open that box or whatever. And there are definitely men who break those, male characters who break those. But it's almost it's, it's like very frequently a woman who gets told don't do that thing, it's and the of course old, you know it's the whole Eve Apple yeah. thing mm-hmm. over yeah. and over yeah, and yeah. over again forever. And I think the story expects that they're gonna do it, like. Yeah. You have to do it to move the plot forward. The minute you know that there's something someone's not supposed to do, yeah. you know immediately that some lady's going to... Well, let's be real. If someone told you that you right. couldn't look in the box, you would look in the box. Yeah, and more power to her because it saves her, ultimately. Yeah, it keeps true. her safe. Right. I feel like no matter what gender I was, I'd look in the damn box. <laughs> just don't tell me about it. You know? Don't yeah, make you it a didn't thing. want me to <laughs> look in the box. I don't just need don't to tell know. me there's a exactly box right. there. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make it Put a the thing. box under your bed. Thank you. I agree. Don't worry. I won't tell you about the box. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I won't tell you anything. Wait, what box? Oh, shoot. Never mind. No, <laughs> we're sharing a hotel room. My husband so. doesn't know about the secret box. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's the way it should be. That's Everyone how you save your marriage. Don't yeah. tell so about the why Bluebeard? I think because, because it does feel real and because it's so bonkers. Like, one of the things that I really love about fairy tales is that they don't, and we talk about this a lot on the show, that like, they don't conform to conventional logic. And there's something about about Bluebeard where it's like, of course she's going to open that box. Of course there's going to be this like extremely outsized consequence to this. And I think there's this wonderful combination of like, it's very elevated, it feels unreal, but it also feels really relatable. And I think Bluebeard is like, a great consolidation of that and also it's just so gothic it's yes. so like creepy and weird and that just like really appeals to me and then when angela carter got her hands on it yeah. it became like uber goth yes the ultimate goth yeah i i don't know who this is angela oh. carter is a great um british writer she's no longer with us but she did a lot of fairy tale retelling in ways that oh. were like the gothiest goth that ever got <laughs> okay so she's like the morticia of Fairy tales. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm sure. Um, there's a great Neil Jordan adaptation of one of her stories that, like, if you want an entry point, the, the Company of Wolves is a great, like, very low budget, wonderful uh, adaptation of one of her stories. It's I think it's on Amazon Prime. Like, it's it's a lot of fun. Nice. It is not because I've tried to find it, but oh. I've watched oh, really? shards of it on YouTube. <laughs> and I'm, 
I've I've hotly been trying to watch it for free for like a couple of years, but maybe it has showed up on Amazon Prime recently. I definitely watched it for free somewhere not that long ago. Okay, and it's just such a treasure. It's so good. <laughs> Rachel, what's your fave? Oh gosh, I'm still not ready, but I'll see what I can do. Um, I really love Japanese urban legends, and like to the point where I don't like to tell them very often because they like have this like weird thing where if you spread the story then you get cursed like the ring like mm-hmm. the ring um so i try not to tell them too often but i recently told one uh, called teke teke which is very scary it's about this like disembodied lady that comes out and like is very scary she's just like very scary what did she do Ugh, i don't I'll, I'll leave it to you it's very scary seriously know. you're she, not gonna tell me well she she tends to cut people in half okay <laughs> she's uh she's quite quite dark quite scary uh-huh. um but i love i like love very dark and scary stories so um the, she's definitely one to check out uh she is quite creepy but i think on Wait, like is this the same woman that um maybe i wrote about her in that feminist horror that article that I wrote about like feminist war tales when there was a Japanese lady that appears mm-hmm. in the street and she has like all oh, oh that's um slashed mouth yeah that's a uh, yeah what's her it's name? Very, the it's slip mouth, slip mouth woman yeah the slip mouth woman we also yeah, covered her last woman. year yeah oh she is Whew. that's a piece that's mm-hmm. a piece mm-hmm. Whew. Well, I mean, don't tell women to smile. Okay. Right. Back off. (laughs) You might regret (laughs) it. That's right. Which I love. I love that idea of being afraid of women. And I think that's where I gravitate to that is uh, because I'm not a scary person. So I like the idea of being scary, you know, and like, just don't mess with me. It's fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's. I think they also call her like the woman in white or something. And it also gets confused with Mm -hmm. the, the other lady in white that's always mourning her kids oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah there's a lot of yeah. la llorona or woman in white like yeah. they're yeah, weeping woman and i feel like we talked about like a japanese version of that and oh, she appears okay. on the road always they oh. always like to have someone just <laughs> popping up on the road in white it's so women dangerous women wandering know? around yeah. being independent <laughs> yeah going to the prom <laughs> returning from the prom <laughs> borrowing a dead. sweater yeah <laughs> Borrowing a sweater. That's totally the thing. Yeah, that's it. That's what happens. That's yeah. so cold. <laughs> Dead. Riding in cars. All yeah, sorts of, like, there's... Very weird. I mean, we, we talk a lot about how scary, like, scary characters are really fun. Yeah. Like, it's fun to be frightened by them. It's also fun to feel like women can be frightening. Yeah. But I think it's also interesting, like, what makes those women frightening? And yeah. so much of it is about vulnerability and victimhood. Mm-hmm. That, like, why is La Llorona frightening? Because, like, she killed her children at, out of grief basically yeah. like yeah. it's all teke teke is one too where like that poor woman like she yeah. doesn't deserve to be an object of fear it's it's sad yeah but it's also a lot I think about like especially with La Llorona as you said she's a woman who killed her children but she's it's, there's like that whole Jason Medea type thing where like she killed her kids because her husband ditched her for another woman mm-hmm. and so the best way to hurt your spouse is to kill their children mm. but uh but really it's to kill your spouse i know it's not the kid's fault on the list but, <laughs> but there's all these i feel Start like women top. are always <laughs> being portrayed as sort of like a be careful who you fuck oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah that's, that's true, what yeah. makes them scary mm-hmm. yeah yeah you never know what you're gonna get if right. you pick that woman up on the highway or you like go date someone or you run into someone in your like outside your school like it yeah. just women are dangerous and hell yes they are <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, it's, I think, too, the fact that it's so gender-bending as well, you know, like this, this, like, she kind of stalks, mm. I don't know, her victims, and I don't know. I just, I love everything about it. It's very creepy. So now that I've asked you for your faves, I'm sure you can anticipate where this might be going. What folktales do you absolutely hate, and what, like, what about them rubs you the wrong way? Ooh, I want to hear the trash. Um, I mean... <laughs> Almost every week we're depressed. So <laughs> let me just get that out there. Yeah. yeah, when I heard the name of your podcast, I was like, feminist folklore. I didn't think there was any feminist folklore. <laughs> and then you guys tell the story, and I'm like, oh, I was right. It's all trash, and they're feminists talking about folklore. It's not the folklore itself that's feminist, because there is none. No. <laughs> it's well, thin on the ground. It, yeah, it does exist. We, we have like last some week. Native American stories that are strong. Yeah, those owl women. Yeah. Oh yeah, I heard your owl yeah. Yeah. one. That was that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. it's a good good it's a good story. I mean, I we had one last week about a w- one where the woman's appearance was not mentioned, and she outsmarted oh, the king, mm-hmm. and we were like, holy shit! Yeah. Like I was ready for Carly to be like depress me. I was like, okay, let me get my wine, my can of rosé, just take a little <laughs> seat, get nice and depressed, and it was actually quite lovely. So. With a caveat, well, like, so, but you know what? I just try to get it where I can. To be yeah. honest, yeah. I mean, that's. I think the thing is, like, none none of these stories are perfect. Right. Um, very few of them. You're. I mean, totally right. There's nothing that's like uniformly feminist. I think you can make feminist cases for some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of it. I'm just like, oh, this is really regressive. Really, yeah. really upsetting. I think. Little Mermaid might be on my list of things that makes me the saddest. That that story is especially savage. Like before, even there's a whole turning into foam bit. Like she has to be in like really vicious, horrible pain. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and she doesn't even know that dude when she signs up for it. Like she literally pulled him inert from the sea. Didn't even exchange one word with him before she agrees to be mutilated from the waist down in order to be near him. You know, I just feel like 20 years down the road, she's going to be like, do the fucking dishes. Like, I ask you one time. And you, can't, you know, like, that is definitely going sour. It's probably better. It's kind of like Romeo and Juliet. Like, it's probably better that it just ended, you know, because yeah. the idealization is so. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for me also, like, in the context that Anderson is writing, like, yes, she gets a soul. And so he thinks that's good. But for me listening to it, I'm like, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, right. you just died yeah. for no reason. Like, oh, I'm sorry. So... It, yeah. it's, it's a lot of sad. suffering and then inevitable yeah. death. Kind yeah. of a lame trade. Yeah. Do you have a least favorite? I mean, I, I love Tannikin Skinker, mm. but I also find it very upsetting. Yeah. Um, Tell me that story. <laughs> that's the pig-faced woman. <gasps> From yeah. where? Is that European? It's, it, yeah, it's English, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was born with a pig face, and she's got to, like, marry somebody in order to not be pig-faced anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think she, she's pig-faced because her mother is, like, not charitable to someone mm-hmm. or something while she's pregnant. And then she's, like, the mother is cursed, yep. and she has a pig face, which is, like, blech. Oh, God. Then, and so, like, if you're pregnant on the train and you don't give someone some money, you're going to... Exactly. Not that I wouldn't <laughs> love my pig-faced baby, but I ain't giving everybody cash. <laughs> well, I think that's, like, part of the problem is, yeah. like, uh, of course you would love your pig-faced baby. Like, what's wrong with having a pig-faced baby? Like, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> also, some pigs are very cute. Yes. Pigs yeah. are Most pigs are cute. Yeah. Some pigs are I've never seen a pig I didn't think was a dog. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> That's rude. It, pigs yeah. are lovely. Yes. Yeah. And she seems like a lovely lady, too. She's kind of kind of red. And yeah. yeah. 
It's it's an it's a definitely a weird one, but yeah. very or, good. And it's another one, as I recall, where like her ugliness, quote unquote, is taken away at yeah, the end, right? Like they the husband passes a test, and then all of a sudden she's beautiful. It's like oh. God, yeah. don't do that to me. I just want to be ugly. It's fine. Yeah, like, it's okay. she already got married. Dude likes her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, What's the problem? That's a wrap. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's I on board. <laughs> what if he's like, can we get your pig face back? You were so cute. <laughs> I loved you as you were. Wouldn't yeah. that be a great retelling? Mm-hmm. Gosh. It would. Mm-mm. Let's talk about Disney. <laughs> Let's go there. Um, I would say that as far as like pop culture is concerned, Disney is the primary way that folklore is currently disseminated into the minds of impressionable young women all over the world. Uh, and there seems to be three distinct phases, at least in my mind, like the classic Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty era. Then you've got like the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin era. And then this newest like Frozen, Moana, Mulan, Pocahontas uh, where it seems like they're trying to make up for some missteps in the in the past. It seems to me like the storylines are getting better in terms of sexism and racism, but would you say there's still farther to go? Like, is there a progression towards feminism that you can see, or is it not enough? I think there's always more yeah. room for improvement there. Um, and I, I'm not going to be able to cite this, but I remember someone looking at, like, comparing newer Disney films to older Disney films and people often are like well Sleeping Beauty sleeps the whole time and she doesn't do anything it's like actually sometimes if you look at like how many lines those characters have and how much agency they have in the story some of the newer Disney films don't match up that well right they're they're still not that much better (laughs) so I mean I think there there seem to be some like conscientious steps that Disney is making to like be more inclusive but also you know it's not that much better (laughs) Mm mm-hmm what can they do to make it better? What traditions can they mine to make folklore more equitable for everyone? Hmm. I don't know. I'm, hmm. That's a really interesting question. Because I don't know. It's interesting what Disney does is just kind of, I'm going to make a bunch of Disney people mad now. <laughs> um, but I feel like what they do is just like pick and choose and kind of amalgamate things. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly if you look at the the early Disney, it's like, we're going to set this in whenever, historically nonsense period of time, which I kind of love, honestly. But um, I think some of what they have to do is like be in the communities that those stories come from a little bit more. Um, And I mean, there I think like Moana is a good example where they're like trying to really uh, think about that cultural context rather than just appropriating something into their own setting. So I think more stuff like that, more stuff of like... uh, hiring actors who are actually of the races of those characters yeah. to play those things not just erasing those distinctions because they do make a difference particularly if like representation is is a factor in this like it's not just I can't just pick up a story from somewhere else and tell it as if it's mine now talk to me about this personally I in a matter of days will be in Disney World <gasps> I was in Disney World once when I was like 10-ish didn't love it I'm going now for the first time in my 40s. Like, I, as a feminist, feel anti-Disney. And I don't know if I should or not. Tell me if me being cranky about being forced to go to Disney is appropriate. And if not, tell me how I can enjoy it as a cranky feminist. (laughs) So I actually think, like, you know, 
I think questioning, like for me, whenever we talk, you know, she's the folklorist. I'm just like the lady on the side. I'm um, sorry, the what lady? The mare lady. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, got, it's got a lot of ease in there. But, you know, I think um, what's made me more aware is, you know, just talking about the stories and realizing their shortcomings. And I think with that knowledge, you can enjoy the story. It's just you have to be aware that, you know, they're, that women are being framed in a certain way mm-hmm. and really take that. Like, take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. And I think put it in a context, too. Yeah. Like, it's... Uh, I like Disney. I enjoy Disney. I'm not the biggest Disney person, but I, I enjoy some of those movies a lot, and they're very nostalgic to me. But you have to put it in a context where you're reading other kinds of narratives, and you're looking at women who do have agency over their own lives, or you're you're not just telling young... Not just girls, but young people that that's the only way to be. I think that's the problem, is if... Disney has a hegemony over everything versus like, this is one way to tell a story and it's fun, but let's put it aside and also look at, you know, the real world. That's fair. But also, I love Melissa. 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 What's the fucking. Maleficent. Crazy hat wearing bitch. With you on that one. I love her. (laughs) And I like Ursula from. Yeah, I mean, I I live for the bad mermaids. So, I mean, I'm not always on the, the. pretty lady that can't speak and gets kissed while she's sleeping side of the story. I like the the, the mean ones. I like the the angry ones. I like the sisters that are like, oh, we're going to come fuck you up. You didn't invite us to the baby shower? <laughs> we fucking with your baby. Yeah. I love this. Be that as it may, Disney is also responsible for the princess industrial complex. And there's a lot of feminist moms out there who aren't super thrilled with how the whole like princess industry swallows up their daughters whether they want it to or not Mm -hmm. like that's why you gotta encourage your kid to like the evil bitch like does the princess always have to marry to be happy does the princess always have to be rescued does the princess always have to wear pink um i know that a lot of times like the the princess trope sort of evolves over time even in Disney where like the princesses are like going into war or whatever but they're still princesses secretly or whatever because you have to be rich to be happy but also think about real princesses they like their family's gonna get jacked if they don't get married that's a reality those if you're like a British royal and you don't get married they got side eye air ass right out of that cash. So I wouldn't really say that is something that's made up as much as that is taken from unfortunate reality. Well, and I think it feels real for a lot of women who aren't royals too. Like I, I'm with you on like deep side eye for the like princess industrial complex for sure. For sure. Uh-huh. Uh, I also like grew up as like deep girly girl, wouldn't wear pants, pink all the time. Uh, it was more gem and the holograms slanted than mm-hmm. it was uh, princesses, but princesses too. And eventually I started being critical of it, you know, and, and went on like a hard turn where I was like, I don't know about this, and then came back to it. And I think you can enjoy those things and not have to completely succumb to them. And I think as parent, like, I'm not a parent, but I think parents can encourage that sort of thing, and, and it, it is unavoidable. Like, you're gonna, your children are going to be exposed to that stuff no matter what you do. Um, but I think part of the reason that it, f- it it is so appealing is that it does have some real feeling currency that, like, 
even if I'm not a royal, there's social pressure on me all the time to say I have to be beautiful. I have to be a princess. I have to be, um, you know, birds doing my hair up or whatever. (laughs) And I think we have to be skeptical of that. But I think it also expresses real pressures that like, you know, maybe it's not that a wicked witch is going to turn me into a mushroom or something if I don't uh, get married. But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to face social stigma. And we feel those pressures all the time. Um, And I think part of, like, yeah, these fairy tales that we tell tend to sort of have these problematic uh, lessons, quote unquote. But, like, sometimes that's a reflection of the culture and not a shaping of the culture. Mm -hmm. And so it still feels like that's telling me something about how to navigate the world as a woman um, because I have to to be warned about those things too. I have to understand how that works and that someone is going to judge me for being not conventionally attractive. Like I don't have to validate that belief, but I I should know that it exists in the world and think Mm -hmm. about different ways to negotiate it. Absolutely. Now, as listeners of this podcast, you know that I always ask our guests if they're feminists. But I feel like since the name of your podcast is Feminist Folklore, I probably don't have to ask you if you are a feminist. I will ask you, however, that after all of this folklore that you two have consumed, has diving into this world of folklore changed your feminism? Has your feminism evolved as a result of of consuming and deconstructing all of these stories. Yeah, I think it just makes me personally more aware, like aware of things that I'm being told. And and then it gives me space to question that. I think that's really what the folklore has has given me. Our, the folklore we talk about has definitely given me that kind of thought process. So it's been kind of good. Yeah. And I think, so I, I did a master's degree in folklore and like I'm not... Like, I know I have friends who are, like, PhDs and are doing field work and are very professional academic folklorists, so I'm not that at all. But I think the thing that that, that degree did for me was to think about how other people see the world. And that, I think, is the thing that, like, that should be basic <laughs> knowledge. But I think it really, it changed, it really shifted my paradigm and made me think about the world in a different way, not just about what I take from a situation, but how people in that situation describe their lives. And I think that was really a like a game-changing aspect of my feminism. And I think like a, the, really related to a lot of the kind of recent discourse about intersectional feminism is to say, look, this is not just about my view on this, but also about how uh, people in that context view their lives and, and the interconnection there. So I think that this show is definitely an opportunity for me to keep honing that and keep thinking about not just what I think about the world, but what how other people see it too. The more folklore I read, the more... I feel like I have a deeper sort of bedrock understanding on how just like hanging out in the world and enjoying entertainment, I'm being manipulated into like getting a a sense of how I'm supposed to act. Yeah. That there's just like a lot of prescriptive stuff that's so old that comes from like these ancient stories that's in uh, so much of the media that we consume that it's it's hard not to get sort of in a twist about it like why can't I just enjoy my entertainment without feeling like I'm being manipulated but that's how I feel like my feminism interacts with folklore when I see it doing its dirty business <laughs> during my off hours when I'm trying to max and relax you know what I'm saying yeah, yeah. why can't we just have nice things yeah why can't we have nice things mm-hmm. speaking of which we're going to take a short break 
And then we're going to talk about this very thing. I'm going to ask our lovely guests, Rachel and Carly. I'm going to ask Callie. And hopefully you guys will all ask me, what you watching? Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. And we're back. Hey. This is the part of the show where I ask everyone what you're watching. And when I say what you're watching, it is a broad question. It means books, TV, music, music videos, podcasts, anything that you can possibly uh, engage in pop culturally. We want to know. Let's start with Rachel. Ooh, I don't know. This is kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to go for it. Go for it. I uh, I watch Vanderpump Rules quite religiously. I've heard that it's better than uh, its originator. Do you agree? Uh, yes, I would agree. It's it's very very good. There's a lot of a lot of interwoven stories, and uh, it's quite quite upsetting, but very good. I have to say. And, and they're terrible to each is. other. Is this is a family of rich people? Uh, yeah, kind. Well, no, they all work at the same. <laughs> they all work at the same. Like restaurant, and it's a oh my god! I thought this was like a Kardashians of some well, it's a it's a spinoff of Real Housewives yeah. of Beverly Hills. One of the okay, Real Housewives so wives of Beverly Hills has yes. a restaurant, Lisa Vanderpump. Oh. So it's her rules. Yeah, she just makes cameos in the show. Oh, like little, she little sets cameos. the rules and doesn't even touch. I mean, she doesn't need to. It. She's Lisa. I mean, she, she has just... a young staff who are terrible to each other. Yeah, and it's fun to watch. So this is like the tea that people want to watch if they're in the service industry. They're like, relate, I relate. Come home after waitressing and you're like, yeah, I'm good. I'd give my boss the shit about that. I totally get it. Okay. What else are you watching? Um, Well, I just finished a podcast called, uh, well, I've been listening to American Hysteria, Mm -hmm. which is actually um, very good. It's about like. All these like satanic panics in the eighties and like how nice. yeah. love it. It's really good. Um, huge fan. So I love a good panic. Yeah. yeah. And she she kind of breaks it down too, which is pretty rad. So she like she's like, Oh well, the reason for this is, you know, because like Halloween candy is scary because of this, but it actually never happened and like it's, Wait, it's I thought that there was Yeah, one I thought there instance. was razor. One instance of one time that started off the whole crazy shit. I don't, I think there might have been like one, but then the other, like everything else was like a guy like a killed his own dude. family. Yeah. That's the big one. I think it was like the, f- well, we just talk about American history. Yeah. <laughs> like the <laughs> framing of it, I think, yeah. was like some of it happened after the original, original yeah. panic is like mm-hmm. he got the idea to do it after it, there was already right. people yeah. afraid right. of it. Right. Yeah. So there, I think there are yeah. a couple instances, but it's like completely blown out of proportion. Right. Of course. It's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm watching. Cool. Carly, what you watching? Oh, so many things. Um, 
I just finished the second season of Mrs. Maisel. Uh-huh. Uh, worth it? Not, question mark? But I need <laughs> to get into this show. It's I'm in the midst of season one. What's it on? It's oh, at it's Amazon. Amazon. Mm-hmm. That's why I can't. It's, I don't have the bridge to the Amazon. I mean, <laughs> that's fair. You're probably doing okay without it, too. i got to the troll toll to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. The second season feels like it's all just a musical like it, everybody's about to break into song it's just like a little more stylized than the first season mm. um, and I definitely have some critiques of it uh, there's a great essay by Emma Eisenberg about the fact that like Susie who is her manager is like very visibly queer but they just like don't address it at all like right. she's very butch <laughs> um, but they just like what don't what time frame is this? 58 or something so I think. maybe it's like yeah. you know but you don't talk about it because yeah it just feels like a like a coward move kind of <laughs> but like but it could also be real realistic to the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and I think like they do enough other stuff of like addressing sex and taboos that like it feels like they could make a choice to do it, but I think you're probably right too. Is that like there's there's a historical realism element there, but it's it's fun. I have been listening to a podcast called Small Town Dicks, which is Yardley Smith of Lisa Simpson Lisa fame, Simpson! Uh, and a friend of hers who's also an actress, Sibby Allen. Uh, they are friends with some detectives who work in a small town somewhere they don't disclose where um and so basically they like bring in these detectives and talk about like real police work i Uh, love it it's i'm a big true crime person i do it in my like real person job too um and what is your real person (laughs) job here's where i out myself i um I work for a subscription box company called Hunt a Killer, which you've probably heard if you listen to. Oh yeah, it's like podcasts. a game. Yeah, so it's like an immersive murder mystery game. Uh, uh, oh God, I love it, this. It's really fun, uh, and it, I'm not biased at all about that. But they, uh, so I do. I just read a lot of true crime, and and I'm like always watching random documentaries about things. And everyone in the office is trading it's stuff. A Netflix show. I just started watching it last night, so it's, it's not innocent in my- man. Yes, I'm, I'm addicted. Oh me. my god! Yeah. I just what is it? Is it man? It's on Netflix, and it's like, it's weird. It's like a couple of different murders, but there were two of them, and this was before DNA evidence, and they got what they think is false uh, confessions from them because one of them definitely has a low IQ, and the other. The other guy, I don't know. He I think he was telling like a dream, and yeah. they played oh. that for the jury or something. Oh my god, it was really bad. It's really crazy. And then they finally get to like hair forensics and like things like that, and they debate like the, how good that is, and if that's worth even shit because they thought that they were perhaps pube hairs, but they were really dog hairs. <sighs> it was just. It's a voyage. It is a beautiful voyage. Mm-hmm. I uh, and then the other murder was. They're weaving these two different things together. Yeah. I just started. Yeah, because I haven't quite gotten there yet. I haven't gotten to that part. But yeah, they're. I like, was very stoned by the yeah. time I got to this part, so <laughs> it's very foggy. The last couple episodes I watched, but it is really riveting. It is. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, Highly recommend. Next on my list, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Small Town Dicks is great. It's it, it like it feels like Law and Order, but like real. Chung chung. Exactly. <laughs> Which I live for. Yeah. yeah. What else have you been watching, Callie? Let me tell you. I want to kiki with you about Dumpling, which I did I not like. I need to talk to you about Dumpling. I under- Dumplin. I understand that you didn't like it. Say your piece, and then I will say mine. All right. Well, I thought this was going to be about Dolly Parton. 
It wasn't not about Dolly Parton. Oh, it was not about Dolly Parton. And I have can't... either of our guests seen Dublin? Not yet, yeah. but I did read a really good article about it, so I'm very curious to hear. Okay, I just I had to cleanse my palate with the Boulay Brothers. It was too cheesy. It was too predictable. Um, also, there's like, so it's a a plus size. How old is she in this? She's a teen. She's a teen. Jennifer Aniston's daughter and Jennifer Anderson was like the reigning like pageant, pageant queen. queen but they never address the fact that they're gonna these teens are gonna be in a bathing suit contest so they're all focused on talents and stuff and I was like they just gonna throw a teenage talent contest and everybody in the town is a sold out teenage talent con- uh, teenage beauty pageant who are these random people going to see it teens in bathing suits shouldn't they all be arrested small town america you know we don't know what what goes on there i was like why do why do we know about this town like why and there's this random goth girl you never know why she's angsty they just oh she's wearing combat boots she's mad and then they never explain that i had a lot of i was just like when something and i thought like a drag queen was going to be the ghost of dolly Parton and come like shine some light or I thought maybe the aunt was gonna was gonna turn out that she had been uh, was doing drag something. It was just so basic. I'm gonna say I want to see that movie. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> Me too. My big my friend Big James was uh, over at my house visiting, and I was like, "Hey, you want to watch this Dolly Parton movie?" He was like, "Yeah." And then halfway through, we were just like. I go get some dumplings at the cart. This is so boring. <laughs> Instead of dumpling, you yeah, got we just paused it. We got dumplings. We're eating the dumplings, and we're like, "You think there's gonna be a big reveal?" I don't think there's gonna be a big reveal. Right, there I was, was not, not a big it. reveal. But if I could interject, please, as a woman of size, he was a man of size, and he still thought it was trash. I understand, but I, from my perspective, I will tell you that representation is very important to me. And, you know, I've already gushed about how Ricky Lake changed my life in Hairspray. And even in Hairspray, she was the only plus-size person in that whole movie. But did you see the movie that well, except this for actress was in before, which was way better, I thought? The one where she was the rapper? Right. You're talking about uh, Danielle uh, McDonald. Yes. Now, that movie, I really liked. Right. But what I want to tell you is that this particular film, it didn't have, like, fat girl as monolith like this is the one fat girl and this is what she's about like there were a range of plus size women to root for there was the awesome aunt and then there was the christian girl who was in the contest and then there was danielle mcdonald who was dumpling there were like different plus size girls with different motivations and different hopes and dreams and feelings and i didn't just have one to watch i had three and i was like hooray i get that but uh-huh. I wish they'd put more story behind the great characters that I they understand. could have had. The other thing that I really uh, appreciated seeing on screen, which you don't see very often, um, especially in a way that was so straightforward, is I'm going to tell you all out there in the world a little secret. Fat girls are told from the moment that they are out in these streets as fat girls that if they want love in their lives... They have to get small. Here's the secret. Guys like all different kinds of women. There's a lid for every pot. Or I'm not even just talking about guys. I'm just talking about love. There's like 
partners out there for every kind of size, shape of person. If you're like a sweet, lovable person, you're going to find that lid for your pot. So like I, you could have knocked me over with a feather when I became of dating age and like boys that I legitimately thought were cute, hot, sexy, all of the above were like, hey, you want to go out with me? You want to make out in my car? And I was, I was like, really? Okay, yeah. Um, and there wasn't any like whole like hoo-ha about like, even though you are a large mm-hmm. person, like, like pe- people like other people, like humans like other humans. And I really appreciated that there wasn't any kind of like weird mystery of like, why does the hot guy at the restaurant like the Danielle McDonald? Like he just does. And she has to get over her fucking self and her own programming yes, to accept the love that is coming her way because she's so mind fucked about it. She's the one who's, well, she's not cock blocking herself. She's cunt stunting herself, mm-hmm. but she's the one who's getting in the way of her own makeout zone because of preconceived notions about what guys do and do not like. And I, I appreciated I seeing appreciate that, that represented on screen because it rarely ever is. It's always like somebody has to get some kind of a cock to makeover. But it's like, yeah, they never did that bullshit. But if you're going to have Dolly do a sound, uh, all original songs, just give me a ghost of Dolly. Just, a Susan. Yeah. Um, I saw that making of a meme show. I saw that too. Uh, you know, on love, Netflix. I love my boo, Fat Jew. Yeah, but sometimes he calls himself Fat Jewish, and I have trouble with that syntax. I should text him and see why he's doing that. I'll yeah. get us the answers. But uh, I know that Erica we work with was like, he's canceled because he stole, stole all the jokes. jokes. But I think his his apology on that show and his is like reasoning about how. The internet, like that was all just brewing. And then he went back and recredited all the jokes to people. I think that's how you fuck up and then fix your life. Mm -hmm. And I fucking love his unicorn hair. I just loved seeing him. Paris Hilton, I actually enjoy as a person. She's friends with my sister. She's not a dick. I really like her. So I'm like, yeah, get your cash, Paris. Even though you got a million cash, you still got a bunch of pets you got to feed. Get that. <laughs> Feed but those dogs. I did feel really bad for the guy that. The suicidal club kid? Yeah, that just pours champagne on women in the clubs. He looks so depressed. That dude's going to die. And his parents were so sad with him. Yeah, that Russian kid. Someone needs to put an alert on him. Make sure that. Do a wellness check. Yeah, I'm worried about that guy. And. Oh, and then I went to go see a Krampus haunted house at. Blood Manor. Blood Manor is like the New York City haunted house place. And now they're going to start doing seasonal haunted houses. That's a good idea. Yeah. I was really into it because the last I went to Halloween haunted house there and it was very much just like walk through room, room, room. This one was more like you got to get coins from the ghosts and it was more interactive and there was crawling involved. And <gasps> Oh, no. Yeah, Camilla was like, why did they make you crawl? And I was like, did you not read my article on how to make a haunted house? You got to make people <laughs> feel uncomfortable. And then I, I was just loving it. And it was great. I got pictures with Krampus. It was good. There was a guy with a glass eye banging a knife on it. They there were elements. It was actually scary. I enjoyed it. They need a Grilla haunted yeah, house. Yeah, they definitely do. That would be good. She's an Icelandic Christmas witch who eats children. Yeah. Oh, I want to read it. shows up in Sabrina. 
Oh, she? <gasps> no, that. that immediately. Goodbye. I gotta watch that now. <laughs> yes, and then also Riverdale. Riverdale Those bitches is wild. on all the drugs. They they do all the drugs in Riverdale. They are on all the drugs. I have a lot of questions about these children's upbringing. I have, I, I I I just don't. And everybody's faking seizures. Like, I was watching them faking seizures, and I was like, it can't be that easy to fake a seizure. If it was, I would get out of so many awkward situations. I want to go to the psychedelic Pop Rocks nunnery. Yeah. But I love that she's like, I ain't eating your candy. And then the other girl's like, you got to eat the candy because it's drugs. Like, that's that whole scene was just everything about it. And that they were all so doped up they thought a statue was real. I have done a lot of drugs, man. But I have never been... I mean, I've thought a statue was crazy, but I haven't talked to a statue for like four days and been like, he a god, he comes and hangs out. Because you, <laughs> like, you eventually you don't you take don't? the drugs. And in the morning, you're like, oh, did you remember that statue got crazy? You still know that it was a statue. I don't think these writers have ever done drugs, and I don't know why they keep making the kids do the drugs. That sounds right to me. I don't think the Riverdale writers have ever also been teenagers. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I love Riverdale, but... Like, you're on the Jingly Jam, and then you're on the Pop Rocks, and nobody goes into, like... Nobody has to, like, deal with going off the... What was the Jingly? Jingle Jangle, and then nobody withdrew off of the Jingle Jangle before they hit the fizzle Yeah, rocks. nobody's doing withdrawals. Nobody's, like... God bless that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. I got some syrup, but I still love it, and I love the character Jelly Bean that she's taking no sass. Uh, Archie's or no, what's his face? Jughead sister. Jughead sister. I like that character, but the drug thing—it's like do a drug and then write a thing. Come back to me after you. I've, at least I have no doubt that the writers of, of Riverdale do drugs. You think they've done drugs? Yes. I think if you're looking for realism in Riverdale. You look elsewhere. No, I know, but I mean, I just at least want like some table of logic. No, I don't know what I want. In I don't know what I want. What have you been watching? I'm so glad you asked. You know what? Um, a lot of what I've been watching, you've already covered. We have covered together mutually. However, there are just two brief things I want to mention. For other members of the tribe, such as myself, if you haven't seen the Nailed It holiday season on Netflix, they do a very, very excellent Hanukkah episode um with cake decorator sylvia weinstock it's so i not haven't seen nailed it oh wait i think maybe i saw is this where people who can't bake try to recreate I beautiful did cakes? see one of these yes and it was hilarious it was good i saw one where they were making nativity scenes mm-hmm. yeah that's during the holiday uh seas and the last thing I want to tell you really quick is that um, my show for self-soothing these days is called The Curse of Oak Island, but I call it Mystery Hole. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to go to there. Yeah. I know. So it's this History Channel show that's now on Hulu, and it's about this island off of the coast of Nova Scotia that's been attracting treasure hunters for 200 years because there's so many rumors about it. There's people that say that it's a place where pirates have buried treasure. There's people who believe that there's a secret stash of holy relics that the Knights Templar buried there. I first found out about it um, from this show that I love from the 70s called In Search Of that's hosted by Leonard Nimoy, my secret boyfriend. And um, so people have been for 
like literally 200 years digging around this island looking for all kinds of treasures from like people think that there's like coins there and then other people think that literally the Ark of the Covenant is there. (laughs) But nobody has found shit there. So why who started this folklore? Because there's a mystery hole. There's just a hole and everybody's like, there must be something in it. There was rumors and then some dudes 200 years ago started digging and they found like planks and platforms and irrigation ducts that are like booby traps that flood the mystery hole if someone gets too close to the mystery hole. There are multiple mystery holes now, but there's one main one. And these dudes have spent, there's this show that- So it's like the Goonies? Yes, but they haven't found the treasure yet. And it's been going on for five seasons of these guys pouring millions of dollars into like electronic resonance equipment and sonar and like echolocators and just giant claw cranes digging the shit out of this island and doing like trying to drain an entire swamp off the coast of it's a crazy show and it's like so soothing to just watch all these men dig and dig and dig and dig and like occasionally find a coin but mostly just find fucking dirt and I just lay on the couch and I watch these men like running around and digging and I'm so relaxed while they just get real messy in the mystery hole and are thwarted at every turn. Sounds amazing. You have to watch it. It's called The Curse of Oak Island. It's on Hulu right now. You can just watch it all. And that, my friends, is what I have been watching. I want to thank our producer, Rachel Withers, the greatest producer of all. And, of course, our pals, Lally and Marv, Jacob and Roman at 300 Entertainment and our girl gang at Bust Magazine and our beautiful guests. Thank you so much for coming, you guys. You're the greatest. Thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You cannot find Callie on Twitter. Ghost. Don't try it. How about you guys? How can people find you? Oh, this is my specialty. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at FemlerPod. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Feminist Folklore Podcast. You can find us on the web at FeministFolklore.com, and you can email us at FeministFolklorePodcast at gmail.com. So many ways. You can email us, too. You can email me at EmilyRems at Bust.com. Can people email you, Callie? Callie W at Bust.com. That's right. And you can learn more about this show at Bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. Finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We don't want to be something that's hidden so far down in the depths (laughs) of the mystery hole that it takes 200 years for anybody to discover us. We are imminently discoverable on iTunes, but nobody will discover us if you don't rate and review us. That's how the iTunes charts works. Right, friends? It is. It is. So please don't leave us at the bottom of the mystery hole. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time, mwah!